I got to start with this. Um, has anybody been following like the LeBron James Miami Heat madness here in town? Woo! I know I have. I've, I've been watching the reruns on ESPN, and then when they stop on ESPN, I go to like Sun Sports, and then I'll just go online and watch the same interviews over and over again just to make sure that it's real. I mean, what an exciting summer. Summer's an awesome time of year, especially if you're a teenager and you get to like not be in school. Any teenagers not in school? I guess not. You're all bad kids and are going to summer school, right? So, um, for me, some of the most memorable times of my life were in the summer, especially the summer, like right after I graduated from high school and everybody said, the fun is over. You know, that's it. Welcome to the real world. And I'm like, oh, man. And, and, and it was a cool summer because my youth pastor told us that we were going to Tennessee for camp. And if I close my eyes right now, I can remember that day. You know, I was sitting in the back of the room with all the cool kids, you know. Um, and he started saying, hey, we're going to Tennessee. And I'm like, yeah, Tennessee, we're leaving Florida. That's awesome. Probably never going to leave Florida again. And then he starts saying, we're going to go horseback riding. And I'm like, horseback riding? I've done that before. That sounds like fun. And then he said, oh, you know, we're staying in this, like, college campus. And I'm like, oh, college campus. It gives me an experience to check out a college campus and stuff like that. And then he's like, and we're going to go whitewater rafting. And I'm thinking, whitewater rafting? What's that? You know, never done that. The only rafting I had ever done up to that point was on the Lazy River at C.B. Smith Park. And so, I mean, what else can you expect? I, I, I was born and raised in Hialeah. The closest thing to a river in my life was the canal on Red Road. That was about it. And so when he said whitewater rafting, I'm thinking, oh, it's just like in C.B. Smith, but it's clean water, like a real river, you know. And, and so, um, you know, I thought it was going to be great. And the time for camp came, and we had raised all our money, and everybody's real excited to go to camp. And, and we're going. I was also real happy because... My girlfriend was coming on the trip as well, uh, Leilani, who I ended up is now my wife and my kid's mom and stuff. Um, and so she was on the trip too, so I was excited about that. I was real happy about that. And camp was great. I mean, it was a super great time, a great spiritual encounter. And then the day for the whitewater rafting came. And it's like, hey, remember to put your bathing suits on. So everybody's in their bathing suits. And we're getting in the van. And, and we go up this mountain. And I'm like, why do we have to go up this mountain? It's taking so long. And finally we get there. And our youth pastor says, all right, kids, stay in the bus. I'm going to go pay and make sure that everything's taken care of before you all get out. And if you've ever been with a youth group, I'm a youth pastor, you know, you got to keep them contained because they'll get into trouble. And so he kept us contained. Then he's like, all right, let's go. we got to go take a class. And I'm like, a class to get on a raft. My people have been doing this for years, you know. And so uh, when we get to the part of the, of the class, there's this guy handing out helmets and life jackets. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my goodness. You know, well, what are we going to do? I mean, why, why do we need a helmet to get on a raft? And then the class starts, and they start telling us all this stuff. And then they tell us, if you fall into the river, put your knees on your chest and keep them out of the water, because if you try to stand up, your legs are going to break. And I'm thinking, no way. I look at the youth pastor, and I'm thinking, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, you want to get fired, don't you? How could you bring teenagers to stay to a river where their legs can break. I mean, I was scared for my life, to say the least. And then they introduced me to the guy that's going to be the guide, my guide in my boat. And he's like, hey, uh, this is Michael. And uh, he's real excited today because today is his first time. And I'm like, oh, no. You know? And so, and then we get to the boat. 
and it was a boat. I thought it was a raft. It's like an inflatable boat. And so we get in this boat, and, and we're going down this boat, and Michael was so excited, and he's like talking about the water, and he's talking about how many gallons and the fish. He's talking about how old this tree is, 500 years old. He's telling us all these things, and I'm thinking, this guy just needs to shut up. You know, I want to enjoy the beauty. I want to soak in nature. And then we're going down. He's like, all right, guys, we're approaching our first drop. And everybody's paddling and paddling and paddling. He's like, and when we hit the drop, remember, just don't stop paddling. Paddle real hard. And so the first drop comes, and we come down, and, and I, start, I start paddling, and all this water comes into the boat, and it was freezing. I mean, it was freezing. And then we're all, I mean, we started screaming, and we were laughing, and then we're paddling, and it's calm again. And I'm like, how come Michael's not talking? And I turn around, and I see Michael clinging to a rock back in the drop all the way where, where, the, where the white water was. And I'm like, oh, no, we're, we're dead. You know, it's over. And so uh, then one of the more experienced, uh, like, guides goes and rescues him, brings him back to our boat. And when Michael comes back to our boat, I mean, this is ridiculous. This guy is soaking wet. He's trembling. He's pale. And he has, like, blood dripping down the side of his face. All right? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we're going to die. And here's the messed up part about whitewater rafting is that you can't decide, like, all right, I'm getting off this ride. There's no way that I'm going to continue. No, you're stuck. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's either, like, drown with Michael or get eaten by bears. All right? You got no choice. And so we're, we're continuing on this thing. And, and Michael's like, oh, guys, don't worry. That was no big deal. That happens all the time, you know. And, and we're going and we're, we're paddling. And then... Um, he's like, all right, guys, get ready. This next one is called Double Trouble. And it's, this is on the Akoi River. If you Google it, you'll see Double Trouble there. And I'm thinking, if, we, if this guy fell off, the guy, the pro, fell off in the last one, we're going to die. And this next one, it's over. And so Double Trouble comes along. I mean, this was a huge drop. And boom, I look back. Michael's still there. And so immediately after, the second one comes. That's, I guess that's why it's called Double Trouble. Boom. And I look, Michael's there, but as I'm turning back, Leilani flies out of the boat. And I begin to panic. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's going to drown. What do I do? And then I begin to rewind the class, the class. I shouldn't have been talking. Okay, I need to grab her by her vest and throw her back in the boat. And so I'm like panicking. I grab her by her vest and I go to throw her back in the boat. And instead of throwing her in the boat, I throw her over the boat. And she lands like head first in this water. And she's bobbing in the water, like legs dangling out of the water. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you can't stand up on this, in this water. She's going to be decapitated. Right? But no, she rolls over. And, and then I, I look at her, and I'm going to rescue her. And she looks at relax, you're going to kill me. And so I get her, and I put her back in the boat. She goes, I can't believe you. You threw me over the boat. Are you crazy? And I'm like, woman, I just saved your life. And I'm sure... All of us can look back, and this has happened to everyone. No, maybe not this exact thing, but all of us can look back at our life and remember a time when maybe someone came and rescued us, or someone came and helped us in a time of trouble, or maybe moments when we went and helped somebody else. Maybe times when the advice that somebody gave us saved us from so much pain and hurt, or maybe advice that we gave to other people that helped them. We've all had moments like this. And every time I remember this whitewater rafting story, I can't help but laugh, just like you guys did. But I also can't help but think, what if something would have happened to her? What if something would have happened to the love of my life, the mother of my children, my wife, my friend? 
One of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me. What would my life be like? I would be miserable. I would be so sad. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. The Apostle Paul is asking the people in Ephesus to remember. And this morning, God is asking us, remember. He's asking us to remember. And let's begin reading. If you pull out your outlines, the scripture is there. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger. That's what we deserve. Just like everyone else. Why would God be reminding us of this? Why would Paul be telling the people of Ephesus, remember you were once dead due to your disobedience and sin? You see, if you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, what we talked about last week, God told us that we have this incredible power. That as Christians, as people who believe in Jesus, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is yours and is mine. He gave it to us so that we can live lives that are in victory. And so what happens when you tell someone how awesome they are? What happens when you tell someone that they are going to overcome any obstacles that come against them in this life? What happens when you tell someone, hey, you're awesome. You have all this power. We all know. Ego sets in. Pride sets in. It goes to people's head, especially when it's someone who had nothing. When it's someone that was lost. When it's someone that was broken and now they say, you're awesome. Here is everything that you've ever wanted. What happens a lot of times is we tend to forget where we came from. And this morning, God wants us to remember this. And it's the first fill in your outline. It's don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. James 4, 6 says this, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God wants us to be humble people. God does not want us to be proud, and I'll share one of the most humbling experiences in my life. It was when I went on a missions trip when I was 15 years old to the country of Guatemala. And let me tell you, something happens to a kid who grows up having everything that he's ever wanted. Hey, I had a Sony Walkman when I was 15. I had MTV. I had nice clothes. I had a house with air conditioning. I had everything that a kid could ever want. A lot like many of us grew up. And something happens when you put somebody like me in an airplane at 15 and you send them over a thousand miles away to another country, not on vacation, but on a missions trip. I remember the house that I lived in for three weeks in the city of Quetzaltenango, Guatemala. For three weeks, I lived in a house without a roof, without a floor. I mean, and this mountain was so high that when I would wake up, the clouds would be inside the house. What we were going to eat for dinner that night was walking around the house. You know, I remember waking up one day with chickens on top of me in this house. I remember the bathtub that I had to take a bath in, and it was just this big metal bucket. And they would heat water for us and give it to us, and we would go and take a bath there. And I'll also tell you something that I remember that I wish I probably would have never experienced. And, and it was this. It, it was um, 
When I got to the village, the very first time I had to go to the bathroom really bad. And why did I have to go to the bathroom really bad? Well, on my training, they told me, you have to eat whatever they give you. All right? If you don't, it's like rude. You know, it's like you're offending them. And so when we got there, I started, you know, I would eat what they gave me, but it's stuff I had never eaten in my life. I remember one of the meals right before we went up the mountain into the village. We went to the house of this pastor that was really poor. The house was like really broken down, but maybe to the people around him, he, he was one of the more uh, well-off ones. And he gave us, when, when I got there on the table was this glow-in-the-dark looking chicken thing. And I said, there's no way that I can eat that. I didn't say it out loud. I said it in my head. And then we sat down and everybody had the same thing in their mind. What is this? And I ate it. And, um, and, and one of the pastors that was there that had actually been there before said, hey, put a lot of hot sauce on it. Because if you put a lot of hot sauce on it, it'll kill any type of bacteria or anything that's on it. And I'm like, all right. So, man, I just started laying all this hot sauce on it. Mind you, I had never really eaten a lot of hot sauce before. And so I get to the mountain. They take me to the house where I'm going to be living at. And this house has no roof. And so you can imagine already what I'm thinking. All right. And I look at them and I, and I say in Spanish, um, where's the bathroom? Unless I'm not that And everybody looks at me kind of weird. They're already, I mean, and they're looking up because a lot of the people there were shorter in, in, this, um, in this village, in the mountains. And, and so they're all looking up at me, kind of analyzing me, looking at my clothes, my backpack, touching me. That was like one thing that was kind of weird. When I first got there, all the kids would just touch you. And I mean, it was great. It was beautiful. And, um, and so I'm like, where's the bathroom? And they're, they point to the woods. And I'm thinking, ah, I get it. They don't understand. Like maybe here, bathroom, something else. Because Spanish people have different words for different things. And so I start saying all the names that I thought existed for bathroom. And so I'm like, el toilet, you know. <laughs> Where that's not even Spanish. <laughs> uh, and then I just start saying all this different stuff. And they keep pointing to the woods. Right? Or, or to what looked like woods to me. It was like a bunch of trees. And, and then I'm like, oh. And they also spoke a different dialect up in, in these mountains. And I'm like, so these people don't understand a word of Spanish. Right? So I look at them and, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to do this. And so I saw this in a movie that when some people went to a native tribe, they just did sign language. And so I looked at them and went, ah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and maybe this is the most humbling experience I've ever had. And then they start cracking up. They start laughing. And this lady grabs my hand and walks me to the forest or the woods. And, and then points at this, like, thing that was an enclosure with twigs and stuff like that. And kind of opens this makeshift door that they had and said, and pointed at a brick on the floor. A cinder block. Just like this. But only half of it. I guess the neighbor had the other half. Right? And says, and looks at it, and then she looks at me, and she says, be careful, there's snakes. Okay? And I'm thinking, like, no way. This is where I have to go to the bathroom on a brick? You know, and, and I say all that to say this. I thought I was going to this trip to help people. I thought I was going on this trip to bring something amazing from America, to sing a song that they'd never heard before. But these people, they didn't need anything that I had to offer. They were some of the happiest people that I've ever met in my entire life. I remember this one kid saying, oh, my uncle lives in, in L.A. And when I grow up, I'm going to move over there with him. And I'm like, please, just stay here. You have no idea. You're not missing anything. You guys are so, so happy. 
And I say all of that to tell you this as well, that every time that I'm going through a difficult time in my life, when, and those of you that know me, I'm kind of picky for certain things, and, and every time I, I begin to get a little picky, or I begin to get a little obnoxious, I remember that brick that I had to sit on for three weeks. I remember some of the meals that I had. I remember that house that did not have a roof. And I also remember the smiles on the faces of the people that lived there. How happy they were. How content they were. How fulfilled they were. And here I was, this spoiled brat from the United States, living there amongst them, thinking that I had problems. That I was missing comfort. And they were so happy. There are times when, when I have to eat things that I don't want. Times that I've had dinner with other missionaries and I've been like, oh no, I can't eat this. But, but I remember the day I ate that glow-in-the-dark chicken. And even most recently when my wife started to learn how to cook, I'm like, remember that glow. Remember what you had to eat when you lived those three weeks in Guatemala. And see, this is the reason why Paul is telling us, remember where God brought you out of. Don't become prideful. Remember you were lost. Remember you didn't have Jesus. Remember there was a time in your life when you were doing things that you are ashamed of now. You see, what happens to a lot of Christians is that they forget. They start, you know, they accept Christ. They pray the prayer. They get baptized. They start coming to church. And, and it just becomes like a ritual that they do. And they forget. They forget where God brought them out of. They forget how much God did for them. We forget. We see people that are far from God, and instead of reaching out and extending our hand and helping them, we're like, man, look at them. I can't believe they're doing that. Look how sinful they are. Look how far from God they are. And instead, God is asking us, remember how far you were from me, and I still love you. I still cared for you. There's people that are living, just like verse 3 says, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of their sinful nature, and we disregard them. Remember how horrible it felt to be separated from God. To be hopeless. To feel that life didn't have any meaning. And then when Christ came into your life, how your life changed. If we don't go out and tell others about Christ, if we don't go out and share God's love, the ones that have been forgiven, who's going to do it? That is why God wants us to remember not to become prideful. Something else that God wants us to remember is how much He loves us. God wants us to always remember how much He loves us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. For He was raised from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Jesus. As followers of God, as Christians, you know what? There are going to be times when we are going to feel alone. There are going to be times in our life when we are going to feel defeated. There are going to be times in our life when it's tough. Times when there's problems. Times when we may feel like there is no hope. And God wants us to remember how much He loves us. God wants us to remember that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. He actually told His disciples before He died, In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, 
Be brave because I have overcome the world. So be, being a Christian doesn't mean that life is not going to be fine and dandy. No, there's going to be times of difficulty. But in those moments when we feel lost, when we feel alone, when we feel hopeless and we're wondering, God, where are you? Remember that he loves you. Also remember, I love what verse 7 says, that God wants to point at us. God wants to say, look at him. Look at her. Look how awesome he is. Look how awesome she is. Not just right now, for the ages. And so we need to live our lives in a way that when we're not here anymore, people can say, hey man, remember him? Remember how he lived his life? Remember her? Remember how she lived her life? God wants us to live in a way that maybe our great-great-grandchildren can be like, one day I want to be like my grandmother. One day I want to be like my grandfather. God wants to point to us right now and He wants to point to us for the ages. We are God's biggest commercial for what Christianity and for the sacrifice of Jesus. The biggest commercial that can ever exist is the way that you live your life. And if you look at your life right now, ask yourself, is somebody just going to flip the channel or fast forward in their TiVo? Or are they going to say, hey, you know what? I got to watch. Every time I see an iPad commercial or a new iPhone 4 commercial, I'm fast forwarding in my TiVo. I stop, I rewind, I watch it. When people see your life the way that you're living, do they stop and say, hey, man, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. See, God wants us to remember that he always loves us. And that should be enough to pick us up from any type of down-feeling, depressed feeling that we could be in. The fact that God loved us so much that He was willing to forgive us after all that we've done should be more than enough to get us out of any situation that we're in. One more thing that God wants us to remember today, and for me it's the encore, for me it's one of the greatest things that's written in the Bible. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. The third thing God wants us to remember is that salvation is a gift. God freely gives us salvation when we believe Him. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. Wait a minute, Mark. What do you mean? I thought that I was going to heaven because I'm a good person. I thought that the people in my family are going to heaven because they're good people. Mark, isn't that the way it works? Good people go to heaven? No. That's not the way that it works. We are saved by the grace of God. A filling in, in your outline is grace is kindness from God that we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. No one in this world deserves salvation, yet God chooses to give it to us. I'm going to give you a little example. You guys know we have a campus in Miramar. I was just there. I just preached this message. And when I'm done, I jump in my car and I drive 15 minutes to get here. As soon as I get off the stage, I gather my stuff and I send a text message that says, on my way. And then I get in the car and I start thinking about what I just did and maybe things I want to change. And then I call again and I'm like, hey, how's everything going? And what song are they on? And so as I'm driving, I'm working. This day I was actually doing a to-do list in my recorder. So I was recording. Remember to do this tomorrow. Remember to do this tomorrow. So I'm driving. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden, this dude jumps right in front of my car and goes like this. This was like a couple weeks ago, like four or five weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, no. And then I pull over. He comes up to my car. It's a cop. I was speeding. He goes, you know how fast you were going? 
And I'm like, officer, I have no idea. He goes, well, I want to tell you this. It's going to cost you $380. All right, I had just gotten off I-75. So there was this little strip here. I think it's like 138. And, um, and I'm like, oh, no, my wife is going to kill me. And, uh, and then I also think, like, what are they going to do? They're going to have to start service without me being here, you know? And, and, uh, and so the officer says, hey, you have a clean record? And I'm like, yeah. I give him my license. He goes to his car. I'm like, man, this guy's taking forever. And then finally comes, comes back and says, hey, you know, you were right. Your record's clean. Uh, and I'm not going to give you a ticket. And I was like, thank you, officer. Thank you, Jesus. I get, I'm like, can I go now? And I get in the car and I drive to church. But you know what? You know what I deserved that day? What I earned, I earned to pay that ticket. I earned to pay that penalty. That's what I deserved. And just like I deserve to pay that ticket, we all deserve hell. We all deserve death. But because God loves us so much because of the grace of God, we can have salvation if we believe. You see, that is what some people can't understand. That is what some people can't commit to. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Everyone sins. We've all sinned. We've all failed. Oh no, but my uncle's such a good man. My grandma's such a good person. Oh, my little brother's so good. Or this person was such a good person. You know what? Nobody is good. The Bible says it. Psalms 53.3 says, There is none who does good. No, not one. See, for centuries, people have thought, that if I'm good enough, I'll enter paradise. What about the thief on the cross? What about him? What did Jesus tell him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He saw Jesus on the cross. He saw the other guy cursing at Jesus. And he said, man, don't you see this is the son of God? He doesn't deserve this. He believed in Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, today you're going to be with me in paradise. His chances of doing good were long gone. Well, he was long gone. But yet Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. He deserved death. That guy, more probably more than a lot of people, deserved to spend an eternity separated from God. Just like us. The Bible teaches us this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23, Salvation is God's greatest gift to mankind. You can never be good enough to get to heaven. And I want everybody to listen to me closely. There's nothing you can physically do. It doesn't matter if you went and you confessed yourself to a priest. It doesn't matter if you come to church every single week. No, coming to Calvary Fellowship does not save you. It doesn't matter if you're on the honor roll, if you're a, a war veteran. If you give a million dollars to the, feed the poor. If you go out and you make sandwiches for all the homeless in downtown Miami, those things may be good. But it does not get you salvation. I've heard a lot of people say, hey, i got to go to church this weekend because I was bad. You know, I did some bad stuff at the club, or I did this, or I cussed this person out. i got to go to church today. And you know what? Doing something good to offset your sin isn't going to work. Check out this filling in your outline. Good works do not produce salvation. Good works, doing good things do not produce salvation. There's only one way to get to heaven. Only one way that you can attain salvation. And that is through Jesus Christ by the grace of God. 
John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And some of you may be thinking, okay, Mark, so that means that if I receive Jesus, if I pray that prayer, I can live life however I want. I could do whatever I want. I could spend the night with my boyfriend. I could fight with my wife and kids. I could steal stuff from work. I can live life however I want, doing whatever I want, because I'm saved and I'm not saved by my works. So that means that I'm not unsaved by what I do, right? Um, absolutely not. Grace is not a free pass to go out and sin. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's not like, okay, do whatever you want, live life however you want. God understands. Check out what Paul wrote in Romans 6.15. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. By no means. Yes, it's right that good works do not produce salvation. But salvation produces many good works. Being saved, giving our lives to Jesus, being forgiven, produces many good works. Our last verse for today, Ephesians 2.10, says this. For we are God's masterpiece. I love that. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do, good th do the good things He planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. What does that mean? That means that just like this picture, the Mona Lisa is Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. This is God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece for what? To do the good works. That he had planned for us. You can, okay, good, you took my picture off. We were designed by God to do good things. And once we are saved, the obvious thing is to do good, to help others, to obey God's word. So as God's masterpiece in the fact that we were once far from him, because of the fact that he loved us so much, because of his free gift of salvation, there's nothing else that we can do but love others than to serve others, than to obey God, than to stay away from sin, than to be involved in what God is doing in our church, than to be involved in what God is doing in the world, in our community, than to be good parents and to be good children, to be good citizens. Because of everything that God has done for us, good works should be the outflow of what's happening inside of us, should be the outflow of the incredible masterpiece that God has created. And see, today... I want to give some of you the opportunity to begin to create these memories. There are some of you here today that are far from God, that you've heard salvation has probably never been painted to you this way. And somebody probably forced you to come to church today, or you came to church because you've been doing some bad stuff, and you're like, oh man, i got to make sure that I'm cleaned up because next week's coming up. You know, LeBron James is in Miami, we're going to go party on South Beach tonight. And you're here in church because you think, that you need to right some wrongs that you've done. You know what? You don't need to do that. God wants you just the way that you are. All your junk, all your sin, God wants to get all of that, and He wants to take it, and He wants to throw it away. He wants to take the guilt that maybe is killing you, and He wants to forgive you from that. And I want to ask everyone to bow their head right now. And I want to pray for you. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can talk to God and say, God, I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done. God, I'm sorry because I've lived life the way that I've wanted to live. I've been doing things my way. I've been hurting people. I've been lying to people. I've been sinning continuously, God. I know it. I know it's wrong. But today, 
I want to begin to establish memories that honor you. I want to give my life and my heart to you. And if that's you today, I want to ask you to pray with me. And actually, the entire church is going to pray and encourage you. We're all going to pray this prayer out loud together. Repeat after me. Say, Dear God, I come to you today and I say I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done, for the sins that I've done. Forgive me. Thank you. Because Jesus died for me. Thank you. Because Jesus is alive. Dear God, come into my life. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. This is your first step in remembering. Remember this day. Have you prayed this prayer? Remember this day. And then for the rest of us, before Jesus died, he got some of his closest friends together and he said to them, I want you to remember me this way. And we're going to spend some time sharing in communion. I'm going to ask George to come out here and he's going to play a song. And we're going to take some time to pray. And maybe for some of us, we've been Christians for a while and it's been a long time since we stopped and thanked God for the life that He rescued us from. And maybe there's some of you that say, hey, you know what, Mark? I was born in a Christian family. I've never really done anything to hurt people. I'm a good person. You know what? Thank God for that. Thank God because you know what? You could have been that other person. You could have been that other kid whose parents were not Christians, whose parents did not make sure that they went to church, and you could have been lost in your sin and in your transgressions. But God blessed you for that. Let's take some time now and let's remember Let's remember how much God loves us. There's some of us here today that when I said there's people that are going through tough times, you're like, yeah, Mark, that's me. I'm going through a tough time right now. There's a lot of people going through financial difficulties. There's people with problems at home, problems with their kids, problems at work. You know what? Remember that God loves you and that God is there for you and that God will never abandon you. So, as we partake in communion, I just don't want this to be like what we do every time we do communion. We take the bread, we sit down, we do our little thing, we go home, we go have a sandwich. You know what? Let's make this a memory today. Let's make this a point in our life when we remember how our life began to change, how we became different. There's some Christians, man, that pride is killing us. And there's people in our family that are far from God and instead of reaching out to them, we stop calling them. We stop talking to them. We stop going to their house on the holidays. Oh, they're not Christians. We don't go to their house. You know what? It's time for that pride to be broken. It's time for us to reach out to our family, to our friends, to people that are far from God. Because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're better than them. It means that now you have something to do. You have a task at hand and that is to share the love of God with everyone that is po that it's possible to do it. That is what our task is. That is why God wants us to remember that He loved us. And that He didn't judge us. He didn't make us feel down, but He lifted us up. I want to invite you to come and, and get communion on either side and go back to your seats and pray and worship God and then we're going to partake in communion together.
First Corinthians 11, verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, because you were wounded for us. You were pierced for us. And like a lamb, you went to the slaughter and did not complain. Help us to always remember the sacrifice that you made for us. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Your blood, which cleanses us of all of our sins and all of our faults, and all of our failures. Thank you, Jesus, because you don't judge us. You know our faults. You know our mistakes that you choose. You choose to forgive us. Jesus, even on the cross, we remember when you said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people that laughed at you, the people that spit on you, the people that nailed you to the cross, you looked at God and said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, always help us. Remember. God, that we would never forget all that you've done for us and all that you promised to continue to do forever. God, that we don't remember the prize that we have in salvation, that we're not condemned, but that we have the gift of eternal life because of Jesus. It is in His name that we pray. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Praise God.